Hi, friends. Join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. With both a spoiler and spoiler-free analysis, there's something here for everyone. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. And welcome to this week's episode of our podcast, Ban Candy. Oh my gosh. The episode that we've been waiting for since the season started. It's just like, ugh, I love this episode and I think everyone should agree because it's like, <laughs> should. it is, it's such a good mix of like lightheartedness, funny, but also really moves the plot along. It's not one of those episodes where it's like lighthearted, but it doesn't really have much impact on the overall story of the season. It is just a very well done episode and it's so enjoyable to watch. Oh, it's so fun. I I think this is probably one of the funniest episodes of the show for me. I mean, there's other funny ones too, but this one I think this is got to be one of my top 10 favorite episodes of Buffy. I just absolutely adore this episode and I never get tired of watching it. I mean, there's so many things to love about this episode, but one of the things that makes this episode so freaking fun is it builds off of what we know of the characters. And it kind of is the ultimate fan service for a lot of people. Um, just I mean, mainly with Giles and Joyce getting together. But also the fact that we've gotten hints of Snyder's past, Joyce's past, Giles's past. And this is an episode that really kind of delves into the characters that are maybe more side characters or are not normally featured in an episode. And it's so fun to see their past and kind of get to know them a little bit better. And it helps us understand them so much more. And it's just so rewarding and so fun. Not to mention you have so many different charismatic characters in this episode. I mean, I I couldn't believe we have Ethan Rain and Mr. Trick, two of the more charismatic villains that we've had, arguably maybe with the exception of Spike. And yet they're overshadowed by Armin Shimmerman, Mr. Snyder, and or Principal Snyder and Giles. Like, I can't even believe like how charismatic those actors are on screen. And yet they completely take it over. And it's just so much fun to watch. I agree. Most of the time in scenes, I don't even know who to watch because everyone is so individually captivating yeah. and very interesting to watch. Like, I don't know if I should watch Buffy or Snyder or Giles or Joyce or like Ethan Rain or Mr. Trick. Like, it's just... Your eyes are going everywhere, and I think that's what made this episode so hard to, like, watch and take notes. Because mm -hmm. I feel like every time I was taking notes, I was missing something. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, so much fun. Leah, what do you think of your favorite character Snyder's performance? Or just, like, his uh, personality in this episode? <laughs> I was literally peeing my pants. <laughs> like, the whole, like, hey, guys, wait up. You can't ditch me. And then, like, going and, like, following them. Or he was just, like, he was, like. I can do that because I'm the principal. Like, or like, a, he's like, the the pinhead um, principal didn't want to teach the class Librarian. today and I don't want to do yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, he's like, so you have to do it. Like, he just was so funny. And I love that they just randomly have him in this episode. Like, why? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why did they choose to do that? It's true. It's just so funny. Oh, it's so good. All right, so let's get into it because there is so much to talk about. 
All right. This episode was written by Jane Espenson. This is her debut episode. She's known for just having the wittiest episodes. She writes some just amazing, phenomenal episodes, and I absolutely love her. Um, we will definitely be seeing more of her later on down the line. Um, it is also directed by Michael Lange, and it aired November 10th, 1998. So I see this episode as kind of season three's Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered, except it does it so much better because you have the whole like um, they don't lose their memory, but they're not quite themselves type of idea. And this episode is just so much fun. So the original idea that Jane pitched to Joss Whedon was that of a coffee shop opened up in Sunnydale and all the adults who drank there reverted back to being teenagers because the scariest thing Jane could think of was your parents suddenly acting like teenagers. Joss loved the idea but hated the coffee shop, so Jane then changed it to meat that when eaten would change the adults into teenagers due to the comedic play on the words steak slash steak. Ha <laughs> ha. Joss liked this idea less than the coffee shop one. So finally, Jane pitched the idea of the band candy changing this adults and Joss loved it. I don't know why he didn't like the idea of the meat, but that sounds really funny with the whole idea of steak. I think having steak would be kind of a hassle more so than like like a coffee drink because you could just be sipping coffee throughout the episode. That's but with steak, true. It's like yeah. you have to bring a dinner plate to like the sewers. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, <laughs> They're stuffing it in their pockets and eating the yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Or unless they turn into like beef jerky and then they're just like biting it off. I could see them doing that probably with the jerky, but yeah, the chocolate makes so much more sense. Um and also I think it works really well as a metaphor too because it's sweet, so it's like addictive and it's sugary and good to eat versus like Everyone coffee. Likes it. Yeah, exactly. Um, So Jane says that she thinks that she put too many jokes in this episode. She said that there should have been less jokey dialogue, but she came from a background of sitcoms, and this was her first Buffy episode, so she, like, really came out with a bang. Um, She was also worried that part of the dialogue in her script wouldn't sound English, and Joss joked that it'll sound English when Giles says it in an English accent. (laughs) Oh, it cracks me up. But it's kind of true, though. Like, even if you don't sound English, Giles will make it. Make it sound good. So this episode is not so much a role reversal as it is turning the roles inside out. Buffy is all about growing up in adolescence, and the teens usually have to deal with adult problems. Now they're showing that the adults have to deal with teen problems by acting as children, and the children have to be the adults, which is kind of just a really fun play. Did you guys notice the correlation between this episode and um, Halloween as well as The Dark Age? Yes. I noticed Halloween a ton. Ethan Rain. Well, not just, well, Ethan, just Rain. Ethan Rain. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Uh, I think I'll just leave the podcast like that. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, shut up, Leah. No, the whole idea like chaos. They talk about chaos a lot and Ethan is kind mm. of the arbiter. He brings chaos to everything. Well, and he really loves like making people kind of forget who they are. Yeah, he does. But the whole idea of like the dual natures of people. Um, and we talked about how in Halloween, Giles is the only character who doesn't really wrestle with his dual nature because he's come to terms with it. And he's like pretty secure. He's an adult. As an adult, you know your identity. This one's interesting to say, okay, well, what happens if adults have to go back to that time of uncertainty and aren't quite sure of themselves? And I don't know. It's just, it's really fun. And I think that's what makes this episode so rewarding is because we're like, oh, so like that whole concept that you're talking about in Halloween in the dark age, now we get to actually see it after being told it for so long. Well, they're in a much more simpler mind for me when I'm watching this is there's almost a parallel scene 
with um, the gang and Snyder in the hallway um, than in Halloween because they walked on the, the hallway and then Snyder kind of makes a comment about how all of them have nothing to do and then he signs them up to like volunteer for something mm-hmm. at on campus and then does the exact same thing in this episode. And I think they say a lot of the same things. Like one of them is like, no, actually busy like a bee or like we're, we're really busy. No, thanks. Like they have similar like responses. Mm-hmm. You're right. Um, the themes continue to be about authority. We talked last episode about how a big theme of this season is authority and especially authoritarian leadership. Giles and Joyce are being hard on Buffy and putting pressure on her. And when she finally gets her wish of freedom, she realizes that being mature and being the mature one in charge is not all it's cracked up to be. Um, it's a very relatable episode. And it's perfect for season three because the gang is about ready to graduate. And so they're trying to figure out who they are without having authority, but they still need that safety net of the authority figures to catch them when they make mistakes and they fall. Passion of the Nerd talks about how this episode shows chaos and how the opposite of chaos is integrity and responsibility. Um, And we see that in this episode. It's kind of a overall warning to Willow, Xander, and Buffy because Buffy's lying to her friends about seeing Angel. Xander and Willow are lying about their affair. And All of that is the opposite of integrity and responsibility, and that's leading towards chaos. And so I think the show is subtly leading us towards uh, a blow up. When it comes to the bigger picture of the mayor, he likes order and controlled chaos as long as it serves him. He may seem orderly, but just like his penchant for cleanliness, it's only on the surface. Buffy is being contrasted as the opposite of him, as someone who genuinely cares about people, and about the people that she serves. And this episode is a warning to Buffy to not lose that integrity because it's all about identity. Who are you going to choose to be? And so this is a warning of Buffy of like, hey, don't lose your integrity just because you you know, desire angel or you desire freedom. Like continue to tell the truth and be honest and to serve people and stuff. So I thought that was really kind of like, it's not... I guess it kind of is. I don't know. Would you guys consider Band Candy to be a filler episode? I think that my definition of like a filler episode would be an episode that is standalone, that doesn't really contribute much to the overarching story, like the overarching story of the uh, like season's plot. So like um, Go Fish or like episodes like that where you can, you can watch it out of order and it doesn't add or subtract mm-hmm. anything from the story. But I disagree. I think that – I mean, obviously, we can't spoil anything. But I really do think that there is a lot of stuff that is set up um, in this episode or, like, um, kind of expanded on in this episode that is important to the story for season three. Yeah. It's definitely a bit more episodic and monster of the week, but it's definitely not filler. Yeah. No, and I don't I don't think it's filler at all. Um, but yeah, I think season three doesn't have any filler episodes. I think every single episode pushes the plot forward and actually makes it count. So, yeah. So we start out in the graveyard, and this scene reminds me of um, Never Kill a Boy in the First Date. Do you guys remember her oh, studying yeah. with Giles in the graveyard? Oh, yeah. And I think she breaks her pencil in that one too. But this one is like she's – she ends up um, dusting a vampire and she's like, ah, broke my number two pencil. I guess we'll have to do this another time. He like hands oh. it to her. Giles like rising up. <laughs> the comedic timing with all the actors and like their chemistry, everyone's chemistry with each other in this episode is so good. 
I think it's really interesting too, like what Giles is talking about foreshadows the rest of the the episode. Like he says, and on that tragic day, an error came to in- its inevitable end. That's all there is. Are you ready? It sounds like he's like reading from like a vampire book. And then he's like, which of the following best expresses the theme of the passage? And so he says, A, violence breeds violence. B, all things must end. And then at the very end after, you know, as he's like giving her the pencil, he says, all systems tend towards chaos. And that right there is our clue that Ethan's coming back when he says all systems tend towards chaos because Ethan is, you know, the harb- harbinger of chaos or whatever it's called. Or the fact that she's like, uh, B, we haven't had B in forever. It has to be B. If that was not me in college, I don't know what is. <laughs> I feel like that's Leah. I feel like Leah would be like, we haven't had B in a while. I'm just going <laughs> to circle that in there, make a pretty pattern. I literally... It's so bad. When I was in high school, if I had like a test or whatever, I would just like, and I really was like, I don't know any of it. I would just do like pretty much the whole test one letter. Cause I was like, I was like, there's a pretty good chance I'll get around 50% of them, right? Or around there. So I would just kind of spitball it. Mainly C was my go to. <laughs> I would just kind of like do it. And then anytime I didn't know the answer, I was like, C, <laughs> just would circle it in. That's awful. Sometimes it really worked and sometimes it really didn't. <laughs> So, all right. <laughs> so, we go into the mayor's <laughs> office after we have that hilarious graveyard scene, and the mayor asks Trick to come. And we don't really know exactly what he's asking him to do. We just know that the mayor is trying to get in coats with Trick. It's interesting because the show really does not try to hide the fact that the mayor is evil. Like the fact that they've been foreshadowing mm-hmm. him like for like, two seasons now, and saying, "Oh, the mayor, the mayor," and then like the first episode. We're even like expecting somebody like grotesque and like super evil. And then this episode, they like, oh, in case you were like confused by the last episode, in case you didn't know that like he wasn't evil, here is his like shrine of evilness. And, you know, and so it's just mm-hmm. very interesting to me. But they're also trying to contrast him with the whole like, oh man, moist towelette. <laughs> well, I think that they're trying to have a villain that's not like all scary. They're trying to kind of blend in other characteristics. And so I think that they've kind of thrown him in with more of like a different side of evil. And so they have to show that he is evil in very extreme ways to kind of remind us, oh, he's still evil, even though he might seem kind of goofy and or like very odd. He's still pretty bad. He kind of reminds me of like a Snyder. Like he's not a good character, but he's very entertaining to watch. He's a little less goofy than Snyder, but they definitely have the same feel. And I kind of like it because it's like we've seen the super traditional stoic type of villain with the master. And that we've seen the super carefree, uh, no rules type of person with Angelus and Spike. And so it's like they're giving us someone who is a different villain. I feel like that's hard to have a completely different villain for three seasons, you know? Yeah, they think. It makes him scary because he's unpredictable. And it's also interesting, too. He talks about, or Mr. Trick talks about Ethan Rainey. He said, I believe this guy's worked in your town before. If he lives up to his rep, the place will be in flames. So the mayor, obviously, like the first episode he was in last last episode, Homecoming, it seems like the mayor was aware of everything that goes on in his town. And in this one, him talking about how he's unaware of Ethan being in his town makes me wonder how much he actually does know about Buffy. Um, because I thought he was like aware of everything, but seems like he's not so i don't know i'm like really 
curious for the moment when there's kind of the showdown between them because at the end of the episode, the mayor sees Buffy jump into the sewers and then just kind of disappears. So he's aware at least that she exists. He just doesn't really seem to be talking much about her. Um, So either like Buffy has not been that big of a threat at this point or yeah, I don't know. I'm just like, it's just very interesting where they're going with it. I think it strikes me more is that he realizes he's not on her radar right now. Oh, yeah. So he's not focusing on her. Yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, okay. So he's like, if she's coming for me, I'll come for her. But hey, if she doesn't notice me, I'm not going to waste my energy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, and it feels like all these things are kind of side quests to his bigger quest. Like, I know we have not found his big plan yet because he alluded to it the episode before. But when he's talking about, like, this little demon tribute, like, trick – mentions like I kind of did you a favor so because she didn't technically get in the mayor's way she is not really bothering him very much at this point so we cut to outside the school and we find out that everyone's practicing for their SAT prep and then we have this cute little interaction between like Willow and Oz even though it's you know in the back of your brain you're like Will's cheating on you. Uh, um, we're still on that storyline. <laughs> uh, they, Of course they always throw in like the subtle like cuteness of like Cordian loving Xander, Oz being sweet to Willow when they're literally cheating on them. And then we have like nothing beforehand, mostly for Cordian like Xander. But it's like, of course, the only time you're going to mention real feelings is when we know that they're like cheating on each other. Okay. Is it just me or did you guys feel like Willow was a little uncomfortable around Oz this episode and and she was like kind of avoiding him? It felt like he was being so sweeter and she was just like not quite herself. Well, I think she did that on like not she but i think they did that on purpose i think it was supposed to show which goes to show you who actually cares about their significant other because we see no guilt in Xander. that is true (laughs) he's completely normal around cordelia he's like flirting with her they're talking like a normal couple whereas like willow is like you can see her like visibly uncomfortable visibly guilty she's like feeling the need to like talk up Oz because she knows what a good guy he is. And she's like trying to convince herself to stop. Like, I just think it's very interesting how it's like, even though they're both doing an equally crappy thing, you're only seeing one of them actually show remorse. Yeah. Well, okay. Xander also wasn't really in this episode very much. I realized like they actually was, there was more of Oz than there was Xander. Like this is episode two where we haven't had him in it very much. And I'm like, okay with maybe it. that's why it's one of Sarah's talks. No, time. no. <laughs> that's what it is. No, I mean, maybe it is. But honestly, it's just really pleasant to focus on something else other than Xander. I feel like he just gets a lot more screen time, especially like the first few episodes of the season. He was so prominently featured in such a negative mm-hmm. way that it's just really nice to not focus on that. It's nice to just enjoy the season again instead of just being like, oh, here comes Dead Men's Party. I've I've learned the first three seasons of the show are very hyper-focused on certain people. And then after that, they kind of spread it out a little bit more so. I mean, it's always about Buffy and you get way more Buffy than most other characters. But I feel like Xander is not so much in the highlight. Like I feel like we spread it out a little bit more. Yeah. It's just been a – it's been a very pleasant change. Did you still find him attractive in this episode, Tabby? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> Nicholas Brendan is attractive. Are, we, are, we, are y'all saying that Nicholas Brendan is not attractive? No, That's you really know who rude. I found? You know who I found attractive in this episode? Giles. Oh, yeah, really? That's, that's really obvious. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Principal Snyder. I was like, oh, wow, Leah. Uh, no, dear God, no. It's funny, but 
No. Oh, yeah. Okay. We are getting there. I can't wait to talk about Giles, man. Mm -hmm. I could watch him all day in this episode. As Ripper? Yep. Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. So hot. Okay. Moving on. (laughs) Sarah, you're married. I am. I can still say someone's objectively hot. (laughs) Andrew admits it, too. Andrew watched it with me. I feel like Andrew would agree. He'd be like, he's hot. He did. He was like, that is a hot man. (laughs) Um, and then we find out that Cordelia is good at standardized tests. Oh, my gosh. And everyone's super shocked. Her line, <laughs> can't I have layers, is so good. Okay. So in contrast to Willow being like super cold and aloof, I feel like Cordelia is different in this episode in such a good way. I feel like she's a lot more like – Her and Buffy have very like sweet like yeah. normal conversations. I was like, dude, did we actually have like – are they friends now? Do we have like character mm-hmm. growth? Like Cordelia also seems a lot uh, more – calm and peaceful like she's kind of like recognizes like hey like Xander and I are in a relationship like she isn't so like this is such a huge jump from Bewitched Bother and Bewilder where it was so like hard for her to have to admit that she lo- loved it was so hard for her to admit that she cared for Xander and to choose him over other things and now she's over here like I like standardized testing and I feel like old Cordelia never would have admitted to that so we find out in casual conversation that Buffy is supposed to hang out with Joyce tonight um, they walk into, I think it's the cafeteria, and Snyder mm-hmm. kind of gaslights them all into selling candy and volunteering. Um, we find out it's for the marching band, which I never put two and two together. I didn't know what like band candy really meant, and now I'm, I feel dumb because I'm watching this. I'm like, oh, duh, it's fundraiser <laughs> for the marching band. It just seemed too random. Oz has the best one-liners in this episode. Like every single word that comes out of his mouth is absolutely phenomenal. Like he's talking about the hats. He was like, they go with everything too. And you're like, they really don't, but thanks for saying it. So we have a conversation where Buffy's trying to convince Joyce to buy a, a ton of chocolate. And this whole interaction, I feel like is really well written out because you mm-hmm. kind of figure out a lot of stuff that's going to set up for future situations in this episode so she's trying to be like hey like can you buy this candy which at this point we don't know what it is and then joyce is like i don't want why would i do with candy or whatever and so joyce is being all nice and she's like fine like put me down for 20 and then they have this whole like banter thing where buffy's like oh like can i drive and then she's like no i don't want you driving and i think we all know why joyce doesn't want Mm -hmm. her to drive i don't know if this is necessarily fair but the dialogue in this episode flows so smoothly from one scene to the next. So something that I think adds to the quick pace feel of this episode because you literally had Snyder in the in the scene before going, "Okay, Buffy, like sell this candy. It's for the band." And Buffy goes, "I'm not in the band." And then the next scene, Joyce, "You're not in the band." And they have several scenes where Joyce repeats what Buffy says. And where she says the same thing. And I think it's like a subtle foreshadowing to teenage Joyce later on in the episode. But I also like how it showed in this episode that like Buffy and Joyce are literally so similar. Yeah, they really are. Mm -hmm. And and I like how we saw Joyce like at least a fraction of what she was like as a teen because it was like Joyce was less mature than Buffy was or is. Yeah, that's true. But it's also just like everything Joyce does, you're literally like, that's Buffy, just a little bit less responsibility, Buffy. Also, this conversation that they have about Buffy driving kind of goes back to, you guys remember Surprise when Buffy, in her dream, she's asking her mom and – or not in her dream, but back in Surprise when Buffy asks, hey, can I do driver's ed? And then Joyce says, are you sure you're ready? And then the plate falls. Um, And then, you know, back in 
the witch too. She asked about this, but the scene was hard for me because I was like, are we taking another step back with Joyce? Cause she's bringing up the whole Anne thing. And I was like, we had all of dead man's party for this. And then even like the conversation they had in the kitchen and faith, hope and trick. And so I was like, okay, do we really have to go through all of this again? The thing is though, I think that they wrote this dialogue specifically to bring up why Joyce is still upset with Giles. I don't think it's necessarily that it has to do with Buffy. I think they're trying to show the divide that Giles and Joyce have because that technically still hasn't been resolved um, because they want to then show how this episode is supposed to be the resolution of that. I still think it's dumb. That conversation (laughs) with her and Giles when Buffy was gone and Anne I think was dumb and I think this – conversation where she's trying to like manipulate Buffy into like not really being around Giles is really dumb. I'm like, girl, like it's not like she's just having a relationship with him just to have a relationship with him. She he's training her because he's employed by people to help her fight evil to save the world. You think he's manipulate or she's manipulating her? I cuz I didn't feel like she was manipulating think, her. Well, she said, "Don't you think Mr. Giles is monopoli- monopolizing a lot of your time?" And so it it felt very much like like I want her to feel bad about it so that she like won't hang out with him as much or I want her to hang out with me more or whatever. I don't know. I think it's hard because we are seeing more of Joyce kind of accept who Buffy is and stuff. But I, I do understand to a certain extent where Joyce is kind of like, okay, I, I accept that you're a slayer, but how much of this is actually your slayer duties and how much of this is Giles putting this pressure on you? Um, And I think that, you know, she has a right to kind of be like, why is Giles, someone who is not even a parental figure of yours, monopolizing so much of your time? Because I think she still views slang as a job and not as something that is Buffy's calling. And I mean, it took Buffy herself a long time to Mm -hmm. accept that. My only issue is the fact that she won't let her get a driver's license because she ran away. Because Buffy has a good point. Mm -hmm. If she wanted to run away, she could just do it again. Mm -hmm. Like... You're only punishing her for going through a hard time. And Buffy's 17 at this point. She's about to be 18. Like, you can't and stop her. And she kills people for a living. Right. Like, she kills demons. Yeah. She's responsible. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, I do think, though, it is, like, her asking, doesn't. don't you think Giles is monopolizing a lot of your time, I think is supposed to show us how much time Buffy's actually been spending with Angel. Because she lies to both of them to go spend time with Angel. And so... This is Joyce recognizing. Oh, I didn't even think about yeah, that. Yeah, this is Joyce recognizing, oh, something is funky. Yeah. So I think that, that it has more to do with Joyce kind of suspecting that something funky is up um, and then blaming it on Giles. Also, it's really funny that Buffy's like, and does he ever say sorry? And then the very next scene, Buffy's like, ow. And Giles is like, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so witty. So funny. This whole library scene is so funny because he's like – I think we've seen this several different times where he's like super excited and he thinks he's going to stump Buffy with like different techniques. He's like all proud. <laughs> uh-huh. So he's like blindfolding her and he's like giving her this whole speech, kind of like the whole like honing speech. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then she like throws it against the one. He's like, he has this look on his face like, ha, got her. And then hits him and then he's like, right, good. Okay. Um, sounds good. Buffy's <laughs> like, um, I need to go. Sorry. I have a hot date with a shirtless angel. So see ya. <laughs> Enjoy your Cocorific candies. I do think it's interesting that this exact exercise that Giles puts her through actually ends up coming in handy with her later on when she has to find Ethan Rain and he's behind mm-hmm. and Giles is behind her. She's like trying to find him. I thought that was really interesting. And I think 
again, I think the show is trying to subtly show us that some authority is good, that we like can actually still learn things from people over us. Um, okay, so apparently Buffy throwing the dodgeball into Giles's face was hilarious because they kept having to do it over and over again until they got it right. Um, Jane Espenson went to go look at the dailies for the scene. Dailies are kind of like all the extra shots. Um, she went to go look at them and it was just hundreds of pictures and videos of Anthony getting hit in the face with a ball. It's so interesting. Like, I know we talk about wardrobe and stuff a lot, but it's so crazy how dressing a character can change them so much. Yeah, right. Because it's like, you forget how much of our opinion of Giles goes into how he dresses Mm -hmm. because it's very put together. It's very stiff and tidy and all this stuff. It was so weird seeing him so casual. Like you forget like, oh yeah, Anthony Stewart isn't like a grandpa. Like <laughs> it's just, it, it's very interesting. Yeah. He's definitely not a grandpa. All right. So we finally find out why Buffy has been so anxiously trying to ditch her mom and her, you know, pseudo slash adopted father. Uh, because there's a shirtless angel. Oh, look, he's glistening with perspiration. <laughs> And he's panting again. Oh my gosh, so much panting. They're like, mm, we don't know what to do with Angel for this episode. Let's have him still be incredibly weak and just pant the entire episode and be incredibly uncomfortable. That sounds really good. But also, as an actor, this scene would be so uncomfortable doing Tai Chi. I don't know. It would be so weird. You're just Although there David like, Boreanaz mm-hmm. makes it look very sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I guess he's not doing so great mentally and emotionally because his he's not wearing a shirt again. It's not even like, you know, unbuttoned. It's like completely off. So he must be in a lot well, of pain I mean, He's today. working out. This one I understand. Last episode, I'm like, is there really a need to have an unbuttoned shirt? This one kind of makes sense. Can anybody buy Angel some shirts? Seems like he needs some. This is the first episode where I really felt like we had Angel back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he wasn't like Angel Angel. Like he's still like recovering and all that. But like. He just, like, didn't seem confused. He seemed very, like, clear-headed. And you could feel the tension between him and Buffy. And you just were like, oh, Angel, we miss you. Yeah. I mean, I think he was back last episode, but this one was nice. It felt like they actually like, sat down and had a conversation facing each other. I do think it's interesting. Each episode, they're getting closer and closer to each other. And they're, like, their conversations are getting longer and longer. So they're definitely heading towards something. <laughs> this scene where she like makes up like this um big story about how she like set a fire and like made it out through the garbage or whatever. And then she like asks him to smell him and he gets like un- uncomfortable. This gave me such Edward Cullen and um <laughs> Bella vibes. Cause he's all like, I don't want to smell you. I'm I'm too tempted. And then they get all awkward and then just move on. Yeah, it's so funny. Like the chemistry that just radiates off of them. Like they can't even be close to each other. Like, could you even imagine? Bustle, her scent is too strong. Angel's like, how is Scott? And she's like, huh? Like, who's Scott? <laughs> she forgot immediately. <laughs> she totally did. She's like, who's Scott? Oh, boyfriend. Uh, He's not. He's fine. But I just think it's interesting that she like, she knows herself so well where she's like, I need to have a legitimate excuse yes, yes. to not mm. date Angel or else I will. Like, even if that's a fake excuse of Scott, she's like, if it'll just, like, if I can just pretend that I, like, have a boyfriend, maybe then, like, I won't want to be with Angel. Yeah, I think that's yep. exactly what she's doing, Leah. And then they have this whole awkward, like, misunderstanding of each other. And he's like, are you being careful? She's like, with Scott? <laughs> 
was so awkward. <laughs> I was She's uncomfortable like for Buffy. Because I was like, I don't even want to think about her and Scott together like that. That just seems so weird. Oh, Zero chemistry. Oh, my gosh. They would spend the whole time being like, are you okay? I literally was about to say the exact same thing. No. I'm not joking. No. How do you feel? Good. No. How do you feel? Good. <laughs> How about right now? Consent kings. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. You just made my mental image so much worse. <laughs> okay. And other uh, shifting the, you know. Awkward vibes. <laughs> yeah. Um, did you guys notice that he didn't eat the blood again in front of her? Yeah. Yeah. He's still like recovering, but also doesn't want to show that side of himself again because he's uncomfortable showing his vampire side to Buffy because it reminds him of Angelus. Right. I think he's just full of shame. The script is actually kind of funny. So Angel says, I worry about you, Buffy. Likewise, Angel, I'm getting stronger. Buffy, yeah, soon you won't need me. Angel, that'll be better. Buffy. And then in parentheses, it says, no, it won't. And then what she actually says, yeah. <laughs> so this scene is really interesting in the sense that there's so much communicated with them through just their eyes. Like they really don't say much on paper. And it's crazy to me. Like I wonder if the writers really just don't write very much because they know the actress will fill in the blanks. I mean, obviously that's their job. But it's crazy to me because I think – as a scriptwriter, I feel like I would want to put so much more direction in there for the characters, but it's crazy to me how little is actually put on the page and how much the characters or the actors themselves bring to the table. Like the chemistry, the awkward vibes, and all of the nonverbal communication speaks volumes, and none of that is in the script. It's just crazy. You have to know your actors, and this is a testament to them knowing that – like. SMG and David have a ton of chemistry and they really care for their characters. And so they know they're going to put in the time and effort into these scenes, even when there's little said. Yeah. I think this is such a, a hard thing for Buffy and Angel because they both obviously like care for each other so much and they went through an awful thing together. But now they're thrust in this situation where both of them recognize that it would not be a good idea for them to get back together because of all the hurt that they've caused the people around them um, and then because of how volatile Angel is. And so there's this like weird tension now where it's like they want to be in a relationship, but they know they shouldn't. So they're doing the next best thing, which is just meeting in secret. But it's not enough because they keep like edging towards the line a little bit closer each time. I don't know. It's just a very weird place to be at. Yep. And so Buffy walks back home and comes in. And it's one of those – I think we've all have had situations like this before <laughs> where you walk we've in and then the second situation. parrot comes in. You're like, oh. This is one of those go. talks. <laughs> <laughs> very tr- very triggering, let me tell you. Um, Giles comes in being like, I'm in cahoots with your mother type of look. And you're just like, oh, poor Buffy. We feel for you. I always forget this scene happens because no one finds out about Angel in this scene. I think the band candy really helps her in this situation. Yeah. And they kind of drift into like several different like side conversations, which makes sense because if they're supposed to be kind of like somewhat merging into their teenage minds, they're not super focused on like, hey, you lied to me. It's very much like they branch off into different things, but like, oh, you left. And then like, you know, driving and responsibility and all these different like 
side conversations rather than sticking to the main point of her lying, which I feel like Joyce and Giles would have really narrowed in on. Yeah, if they were in their right minds. <laughs> yeah. Christine Sutherland and Anthony Stewart had do a phenomenal job in this scene. I mean, everybody in this episode just like brought their mm-hmm. A game. And they especially do a good job of like conveying the nuance of them both like starting to feel the effects of the candy without like they're not they're still not fully there yet. They're still Joyce and Giles as adults, but it's you can tell something's off. And it's weird that Buffy mm-hmm. doesn't recognize that something's off. The communication was so weird. I didn't realize how intimate mm. Joyce and Giles seem in the scene. Yeah. Like they seem like a couple. Yeah, they really do. Mm-hmm. And I think that's intentional, but I think like it also is indicative of the attraction they both feel and the fact that they're both united in their care for Buffy. So then Buffy's like, all right, you guys need to back off. I don't need to be babysat. And then Giles says, this is what I was like, okay, this is weird. Giles is like, all right, come on, let's not freak out. And he widens his eyes a bit like she's overreacting. And I was like, this doesn't seem like Giles. This, like normally he's a lot more sensitive than this. And then he says, I think you should go to bed. We're all tired. And I was like, okay, this is uncharacteristically dismissive of Giles. Well, and I think it was just like one of those things too. It's like when you're first watching the scene, it's like, just the right amount of seeming like them yeah, to where you mm-hmm. don't know that something's up. You know that they're not reacting to this well, but you don't know why. Um, and so you're just watching it and you're like, why is everyone treating Buffy like she's five years old? But then also telling her to go to bed. Yeah, <laughs> I know, you? right? You're not my dad. Right. Well, and the fact that he's all like, I'm not your parent, but I do have like a sense of responsibility towards you, which I think it is really nice though to actually hear him communicate what we've seen this entire time because he's acted very much like her dad, but he's never really like stepped forward and said, I'm not your parent. However, you know, but I also like, I noted this. Um, I thought it was so cute that Joyce bought half of the candy bars and Giles bought the other half. Yes. Yes. So really like he was taking on the burden of being the other parent. Yeah. Uh-huh. I didn't even pick that up. That's well, and it's funny because you know Buffy knows this, so she goes directly to Joyce, then goes directly to Giles. Like, bam, done. There's all my candy, and they both bought twenty. What is Giles gonna do with twenty candy bars? Like, I know Joyce can go to the gallery, but what is Giles gonna do with it? Uh, Oh yeah, and then this this last moment, you know, Joyce like, yeah, but at least most parents know what to protect their children from, and Giles is like, yeah, you and I have to be especially like, okay, whoa, Giles. You're lumping yourself in here. taking on the role. Yeah, and then they're like sharing candy back and forth this entire time. (laughs) So funny. And the hilarity of this scene is that Buffy's always talking about wanting a normal life. This scene is incredibly normal, and yet she doesn't like it. So it's like, really, Buffy, do you want a normal life? All right, so then in the warehouse, you know, we see a man with a bunch of candies putting stuff inside of a box and then it is revealed that Ethan Rain is there and he tells him don't eat the candy and we're like aha ah this all makes a lot of sense now this whole scene I have a love-hate relationship with in the science room mine's all hate (laughs) I was about to say this scene goes on way longer than I remember all I remember maybe I blocked it out of my memory but all I remember is like the camera panning down and their feet are just kind of touching I don't remember no, they're going the caressing, yeah. the, ca- like the mo- camera movements back and forth. I was like, dang, we get it. We get it. Like, please have them stop touching. I, I wrote in my notes, oh, we're still doing this. Ah. 
Oh, and then, of course, they have this sweet moment of Cordy talking about Xander, and you're like, of course. Yep, of course you would put it this one moment. We've been starving for it for episodes. She mentions that she had an overdue book from the library for a year, and Giles made her pay for it, and then she's, like, reminiscing how she used it to flirt with college boys. Of course, that was before, or that was BX. BX. Well, it, I also know, like, Buffy's response to that is not, like, ugh disgust. It was like, oh, yes, Andrew, because Buffy knows that Cordelia's serious and that she loves him because they had the heart-to-heart the episode before. I love this episode because I absolutely adore Cordelia and Buffy's relationship in this moment and their dialogue. And I'm like, man, like this is the relationship I've wanted them to have for seasons now. Okay, but what I hate, obviously, is the footsie under the table. Okay, why are Xander and Willow sitting next to each other? And why is Buffy and Cordelia sitting next to each other? That just doesn't make any sense to me. Maybe plan groups. Maybe it's uh, last names. Buffy, Summers, Cordelia. What's her last name? I was going through it in my brain and I was like, that doesn't make any uh, sense. Well, well, let's see. It's Because S. Xander Harris. And then um, R would be close to each other. Xander Harris. Rosenberg. Uh-huh. Rose. Oh, yeah, Frick. I think we're thinking about this way too hard. (laughs) (laughs) No, there's no, it makes no sense except for, you know, plot contrivance. But it's frustrating because, okay, Willow and Xander know what they're doing is wrong. They clearly exhibited guilt for it in in the episode before, and they are trying to stop. Why would you put yourself in a position? And then they also don't seem guilty at all in this episode except when Cordelia almost catches them. So I just, I don't know. I'm just frustrated. I, I'm frustrated with them. I don't like it. Okay, so this is what this is what the script says about that moment. So it says angle their knees under the table. They will slowly move their legs together until their knees are touching. And then it says Xander inches his foot over to nudge Willows. She crosses her foot over his dot 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 twining ankles ankle sex. <laughs> Ew, uh, I could have gone my whole life without doing that. <laughs> Why? Does also, what is with music like editing? Who is putting this romantic music? No one wants it there. No one wants this romantic chemistry atmosphere. No one wants it. Get it off. It was multiple times too. I'm like, stop it. Stop trying to manipulate my feelings towards them. I don't like Guys, them. They gave Willow and Xander their own like theme music. I don't think they've even given Willow and Oz. No <sighs> one asked like for this. <laughs> no one wants it. Like, please. We just want to see Oz and Willow. Yeah, it's absolutely stupid. And it is poetic that they bang their knees and ankles into the desk. Okay, Cordelia, where's Giles already? I'm bored and he's not here to give me credit for it. <laughs> okay, fun fact. So this this teacher, Mrs. Barton, I think she's amazing. And I absolutely love when she like walks in and Sanders like, does anybody else want to marry Miss Barton? And Cordelia's like, get in line. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So fun fact, it's going to take everything in me to not like quote this whole episode word for word because every line just cracks me up. But the actress who plays the teacher, Miss Barton, um, her voice is dubbed. So the voice that you hear is not her, the actress's voice. It's somebody else's. <laughs> Why? They decided that her voice didn't fit. And then nobody told the actress. <laughs> it, it didn't fit her body? I, I don't know. Why I'd would be pissed. Like, that's stupid. They're like, we're picking you just for your looks alone. Like, why? If they didn't like her voice, why didn't they just pick a different actress? Like, this reminds me of singing in the rain. Not the fact that, like, um... <laughs> Um, what's the actress's name? Is like dubbing over like the yeah, blonde yeah, chick. Yeah, yeah, I forget her name. She's Princess Leia's mom. 
I love her. But the fact that like when she's supposed to be dubbing over the the blonde girl's voice at the very end, all of a sudden it's not the actress's voice who's supposed to be dubbing over the blonde girl. It's the blonde girl's actual voice dubbing over the brunette's girl to the blonde yes. girl's voice yes. as an actress. And you're like, all of a sudden it's super deep and you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> this is supposed to be your voice. Or it's like this um, makes no in sense. A, a high school musical where like every time Gabriella mm-hmm. would like hit a certain note, her voice would change from like yes. an alto voice to like soprano. It would be like, ah, like it was like a clear <laughs> change. Same with Troy. You could always yeah. tell when it was a different voice actor. Uh-huh. The worst I've ever seen is with Hillary Duff. Have you guys ever seen that before? Okay, no. you guys need to go look up clips. There's literally a scene. I think it's like – oh, I don't even remember what movie is. What movie? I don't, I, I'll have to look it up. There's a movie where she's like in a singing group or whatever, and she's singing and she's like, oh, yeah. Oh, I've seen it on TikTok. Yeah, <laughs> it's like very clearly two different people's voices and everybody's like, wow, <laughs> amazing. Anyway, I don't know what the Disney Channel had with like dubbing different voices in. <laughs> Disney Channel was on a whole other they wanted thing. Because they wanted to be able to say that the actor sang That's it. That's true. That's yeah. why. And so they would sing a part of it and then have somebody else sing the more difficult yeah. part. So it makes it, them look really good because they're like, we choose actors that are multi-talented. Yeah, they're both pretty and they can sing. <laughs> And somewhat dance, even though I, I love my girl, you know, Hillary. But have you guys seen that performance? Nope, I don't. I, I'm, her singing on I'm stage. I'm blocking it out of my like, mind. <laughs> oh. oh, it's like, have you guys ever seen Bring It On? Bring It On 2 with Hayden Penetieri. Oh, oh no, 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 yeah. guys. Don't yeah. hate with on crumping. the Bring It On movies. I love the Bring It On movies. But the whole crumping thing, she's like, uh, uh. <laughs> No, yeah, it's, it, it's I love Hayden, it's though. absolute trash. But don't hate on those movies; they are comfort movies for me. No, I won't hate on them. We got Eliza Deshku in there. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. About that. So Giles is supposed to be the one that's in study hall, and we have this lovely moment with Principal Snyder. Everyone expects me to do everything around here because I'm the principal, and it's not fair. <laughs> And then Buffy's like, all right, Jazz is not here. This is weird. So she goes to his house and she's like, why is my mother or what is my mother doing? (laughs) And then we're like, okay, something is genuinely like not okay. What I think is funnier is the fact that it takes Buffy a few seconds to even notice that Joyce is there. That is true. She walks in, starts like kind of being like, hey, like Giles, you know, and then it's like, uh, not until the camera pans over and you see Joy sitting there that she's like, why is my mother here? I think it's absolutely hysterical that Joyce decides to go to Giles's house and they don't go to Joyce's house to hang out. They must have made a plan the night before or something to hang out or whatever, or either that or they like spent all night hanging out together or something. I don't know. It's just, it's weird for me to picture. You know what I find interesting is the fact that they only start to understand and listen to Buffy when they have the mind of a child. And I feel like that's such a good like metaphor because I feel like there's this like huge idea that like as soon as you get out of like a, the further away that you are from a season of life, the less you like really have empathy or understand it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that that is like always the case. I think people really try to like hold on to how they felt during that time so they can like remain understanding. And I have much respect for many people like that. Um, But the fact that like they only start being like, you know what? You're right. Like you made a good point. Like we're overscheduling you is when they're like full on teenagers. Yeah. Yeah. Cause they're literally in her shoes. Mm -hmm. But I also wonder like how much of that is them just trying to get rid of her too. (laughs) 
Like, I don't know that they were necessarily like, oh, yeah, that was a good point, Buffy. I think they were just kind of like, okay, go away now so we can do what we want to do. So uh, Joyce is like, here's the keys. Have at it. Go have fun. And Buffy can't get out the door fast enough. And then we have, hey, do you think that she noticed anything? And Giles turns around with this cigarette and you're like, what? is happening as Joyce like grabs Joyce alcohol. pulls out the alcohol mm-hmm. underneath and you're like what is happening I just think it's funny because like we've only really seen Joyce kind of either like in protective mode of jo- uh, Buffy or just like super you know mother type and so it's so weird to see her as like her own person right I think this episode is very much needed for Joyce, especially. I think so often we see Joyce through the eyes of Buffy, which means she's often the um, foil to Buffy's wanting to go and slay. And in this episode, she gets to be her own person, like you said, Leah. And I think it's really refreshing. This next scene with Leah driving, I mean, uh, Buffy driving. <laughs> Guys, let's, I let's, swear let's, I'm a good let's driver. Ourselves. Um, Leah's Buffy, I am Willow. <laughs> Tabby's uh, you do know you have the parking brake on. Uh-huh. She, uh huh. I'm Oz. I am Oz in the back for <laughs> sure. I'm a good driver. I promise. No. Oh my gosh. It is Leah. That's no, how it, it is. is. <laughs> oh, Sarah, you have not even driven with me in years. You cannot say anything. You don't have to, Sarah. You don't have to. What are you talking about? I was just there last week and you picked me up from the airport. Yes, what are you even talking okay, about? All right. Uh, let's dissect this. Me, out of the kindness of my heart. Decided to pick Leah. up Sarah from the airport. This is what this is what I get. Ugh. Are we just gonna breeze past the part where you know you completely forgot that I just drove with you like two weeks ago? Uh, <laughs> no, no, nope, no, no. I don't remember that. Mm. I'm so glad that my you know visit made such an impact mm-hmm. on you, Buffy. You know, ranting and raving as she's like driving like a maniac along the streets. No wonder Joyce doesn't want her to get her license at this point. I kind of am a team Joyce in this after this episode. Yeah, but practice makes perfect, and it sounds like she's not even letting her like practice drive. So I don't blame Buffy. It's interesting how this is shot because it's perfectly shot angled up, which means Buffy looks even smaller behind the wheel, and they're trying to make her look like really little. Um, Jane Espenson says that she actually parked her car here and then forgot where she put her keys. And so when they have the car accident, her car was almost a part of the accident because they needed to move it and they couldn't. (laughs) Okay. This scene, this might be, it's really hard for me to pick any particular scene that is my favorite, but this might be my favorite scene from this episode. It just feels so mm-hmm. real. I feel like I'm watching two teenagers actually hang out. It's really creepy. But it's also just like, A, their acting is on point, but also just B, I love when dialogue feels normal. Like, yeah. very natural. I think one of my biggest pet peeves in a lot of modern movies or shows is like they try too hard to sound like teens that you can tell it's written by adults. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like uh, there's just no flow it's like no one no one talks like that no one sounds like that and like this conversation is executed just very well like you kind of forget that they're Joyce and Giles and you just like see kind of two people hanging out yeah I think it's more than just the dialogue too it's the nuance and the body language that they both put in and all like the little details like Giles rocking out him trying to fix his hair Joyce very clearly trying to impress him like it's just all it all just feels very familiar we've all been in that situation 
Um, okay, so the song that they're listening to is by Cream. It's Tales of Brave Ulysses. So Giles talks in a lower class accent in this episode, and it's kind of actually like Spike. Um, and then he shifts back to his normal way of speaking briefly when he remembers about Lucronus in the hospital. So his accent in this episode is actually more like Tony Head's actual accent in real life which is really bizarre to think about. No, I wrote that down. I was like, I, I bet you that this felt natural for like uh, Anthony Sewerhead just to like talk normally instead of like super proper. Yeah. There is actually no music that is playing in this scene when they're listening to the song. So all of the head bobbing and reactions from Tony Head was completely improvised to no music, which is really impressive considering that he's like on beat. And in sync with Joyce behind him. I know, right? Mm -hmm. I saw that too. I was like, this is crazy. And like she's already nodding her head and he's like facing the other direction. Mm -hmm. And so when he starts nodding his head, they're doing it in sync, but like they're neither one of the per neither one of the people are looking at each other. I have to give Christine Sutherland just major props oh for this gosh, because yeah. I feel like she completely embodies what it is to be a teenage girl and just the way that she's trying so hard to get his attention and to impress him. I don't know. I felt that from like the bottom of my soul, man. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> People just naturally gravitate towards me. <laughs> I've never had to fight for anyone's attention ever. Actually, I have to fight to get away from all the Yeah, attention. to get them off of me. Yeah. yeah. I'm Xander. I'm the demon magnet, but, you know, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> Said no youngest child ever. So there's a moment here where uh, Joyce says, why do they call you Ripper? And he says, wouldn't you like to know? And then later on, he says, let's go out, have some fun, tear things up. Jane Espenson says she likes to think that this is how Ripper earned his nickname by this being his catchphrase during his teenage years because he just used to go out and rip things up. <laughs> oh, no. That's not as badass as I thought it was going to be. I'm sad. But it just makes me laugh so hard to think of Giles out there like, just like ripping stuff up. And they're like, we're going to call you Ripper. <laughs> oh, gosh. All right. And in the bronze, apparently, you know, it's dead. No, it's not. The transitions, I mean, the tra we talk all the time. The transitions in Buffy are always really, really good. But this episode, they're just so spot on. Like every single bit of dialogue seamlessly transitions into the next one. And it's just really, it's just a joy to watch. It's just such a quick paced episode. Um, and I think it's because it's supposed to kind of feel youthful and like spunky and just kind of like there's a mm. lot going on. But mm -hmm. I just – I love how this episode is filmed. <laughs> the, the script says, the joint is jumping, packed, and very loud. Buffy enters. Willow follows, still shaky from the ride. This moment, Oz like finds Willow and then waves at her like he's all excited. And I know she's kind of like what is happening in the bronze, but she doesn't wave back at him and it breaks my heart a little bit. He waved. I thought he just smiled when she came in. He doesn't wave. He oh. smiles. Oh, okay. The script says Oz waves at Willow and gives and gives a little shrug. But yeah. oh, weird. I love how Dingo and my baby, who are all like high schoolers, are like still performing to like a bunch of adults getting like sloshed. <laughs> they're like, all right, I guess <laughs> we'll like, continue performing. This even is though no new. one they know is in the crowd. Well, I mean, they're still getting paid, so might as yeah. well. I have to say, okay, this is the most diversity I've ever seen on the show. Did you guys notice how many people of color were extras in this scene? It was really, really like refreshing. It actually felt really real, but it was also sad. It was like, why are there so many extras for this scene? And yet 
there haven't been so many like obviously they recognize they don't have to commit to the characters which is dumb and stupid but like you can have extras and it's like no commitment or sweat off their back yeah i guess so it just felt very odd and then we have a nice little nod to the rocky horror picture show that tony head was in when buffy says let's do the time warp again um, then we see Miss Barton again, and her voice is still dubbed. In- <laughs> so she never has her own voice. In the- no, she- that's oh, somebody else's voice. Yeah. Could you imagine the actress who's like, oh boy, guys, I'm in this episode, and she gets her whole family around and is like, it's like maybe that's when someone dubs over me. her like smelly cat, and she's like, guys, I, I'm sorry, I'm so talented. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, friends, relatable to everything, even Buffy. <laughs> Mrs. Barton's dialogue is hilarious. I'm cool, Willow. Willow, that's a tree. You're a tree. Do they have my favorite here, is, little tree? Yeah, she goes, <laughs> come on, little tree. <laughs> I don't – sometimes you can tell just through Sarah Michelle Gellar's eyes that she's struggling so hard not to laugh, in, especially when Giles is all getting up in her face. I, I, don't, I would not have been able to film this entire thing. I would have had so much fun just watching everybody. And then we hear – Hey, gang, and Principal Snyder shows up. Who the is MVP this man? The MVP of the episode. He said, you can just call me Snyder. <laughs> Who is this man? What is going on? Woo, I'm stoked. Did you see Mrs. Barden? I think she's wasted. I'm going to put that in her next performance review because I'm the principal. But it totally makes sense that Snyder was a loser who had no friends because yeah. no wonder why he yeah. hates high school and is power hungry. No, it so much clicks into place after this episode. Then we see a bunch of shirtless, pudgy men hooting and hollering, diving off of the stage, singing Louie Louie, and Willow and the rest of us are traumatized. Willow, I don't like this. They could have heart attacks. (laughs) Buffy's like, well, maybe there's a doctor here. She's like, I think that is my doctor as we pan over at someone who's crowd surfing. (laughs) <laughs> With, and one of the guys has his tie like tied around Ooh, the top of his head oh my gosh you can tell every single adult in this episode is having like the time of their lives like i would have absolutely loved to have been an extra in this episode could you imagine the casting call for this um we need older people no not not young people all the like regulars who normally are in the bronze are like wait what we can't be in this episode yeah, they're like, we need a casting for uh, like 40 on up, but you have to act like you're still in high school. I think it would have been funnier if they had like a mesh of like younger people in there being grossed out because it was like all old people and then just Buffy and Willow and Oz. Well, no, I bet you all the young people left. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm saying like that would make more sense. But like as a viewer, it would be funny to see the mesh of them being like, ew, what is happening? Like seeing fights between older people and then like, kind of like observing it being like what is happening it would have been funny to see all the young people just slowly leaving over the course <laughs> yeah. of like <laughs> what i thought about was why did buffy and willow stay so long if i went to any event ever and my principal and teachers were there i'd be like bye like i would not stay I think they were just in shock. I think they just didn't understand what was going on. But also, too, because Buffy is the slayer, she's like, okay, something's not right here, you know? I think there was so much of a missed opportunity to see a kid be like, mom, what are you doing? Like, have a, a teen come in and drag their parent out, be like, you need like to go to nightmares. bed and sleep this off. Yeah. Remember when the mom comes in, she's like, oh, my baby. And he's like, mom, I'm at school. And all of a sudden. Yeah, around. exactly. <laughs> they, they should have brought that kid back and been like, mom. <laughs> yeah, he has to go and grab his mom. <laughs> yeah. She's 
him and his mom just have the worst relationship. <laughs> Guys, they had a missed opportunity with having Jonathan come in and find his parents and have to drag oh, them I out. Could you Jonathan. imagine? That would have been so funny. It'd be hilarious. He's like, oh my word. he's like, mom, Buffy Summers is here. Yeah, stop <laughs> embarrassing me in front of them. Oh my gosh. Okay, Principal Snyder. Ooh, there's some foxy ladies here tonight. Only a middle-aged person would use that sort of word. One of the best parts of this episode is literally watching. I think you mentioned it, Leah, how you don't know where to look when you're watching the scene because there's so much going on and there's so many little details put in. It's just a treat to watch over and over again because you notice new things happening each time. (laughs) Willow, Buffy, what's happening? And then Buffy's like, all right, they're acting like a bunch of us. Something is clearly going wrong. We see Mr. Trick with Ethan again, and he snaps the guy's neck for absolutely no reason just because, you know, he's like, we, now we're going to make sure that they're not sampling the product. So K. Todd Freeman, the actor who plays Trick, he said he loved snapping the neck of the worker at the chocolate factory because it made him feel powerful, which never happens in real life because he's such a wuss. <laughs> I just love how Ethan doesn't want to step on his like uh, toes and he's like, okay. <laughs> he literally says, you, okay. Ethan's all like disgusted <laughs> out by it. You're like, whoa. But he's trying to act all cool because he doesn't want to like, you know, make him mad. Well, you can tell also that Ethan is like a businessman. Like in his mind, he's like, there's one worker I have to replace. Whereas like Mr. Trick is like power and like, you know, like authority. Whereas like uh, Ethan's just like, can I just get my product out? I really don't care like what you do. Well, and I think that's the difference between pure unadulterated evil and someone who just likes chaos. I think Ethan likes chaos, but he's not all about like total destruction. You know what I mean? But his uh, his expression is absolutely hilarious. Like, ooh, that was extreme. <laughs> All right. So things are getting wilder at the bronze. Buffy's like, okay, something's changing them. Willow's like, it's got to be a spell. Oz is absolutely hysterical. Seth Green plays him as if he has his own, like, little crisis throughout this entire episode. So – Oz is like, wow, they're teenagers, sobering Mir to look into, huh? And then literally as he says Mir, Principal Snyder walks right up, looks at him and says, you've got great hair. And from this moment on, Oz is disturbed every time he looks at Snyder because he's afraid he's going to go bald like him. You see Oz constantly looking up and touching his hair afterwards like, oh no, it's is it still all here? It's so funny. Which is ironic because he's literally a werewolf. It's like, dude, <laughs> it's literally the least of your worries that you're going to lose hair. You should be concerned about the hair you're growing. <laughs> That's very true. You're like, hair is not your problem, man. Okay. And then, yeah, then you have the guys singing again, singing Louie Louie. Willow, it's just getting more upsetting, Buffy. No vampire has ever been that scary, which says a lot. Buffy's like, all right, this has got to be the Hellmouth. Let's go. And Snyder loses interest in the fight, follows them out. Whoever made the executive decision to have Snyder join them was absolutely genius because it is completely unexpected. So they're all inside the car. And Oz is like, we should go find Giles, right? He'll figure out what's going on. And Buffy's like, yeah, except for all we know, he's sweet 16 again. And Buffy and Willow have like this look where they're like, oh, crap what's so funny is that oz is making a logical conclusion he's like you know what giles is very mature he's always been level-headed it makes sense that giles would have been a level-headed teen and the fact that they just sit there like yeah um 
so not at all. Like, it's just so yeah. funny. He wasn't in the Dark Age, was he? No, he wasn't. Yeah. See, this makes sense. Well, how did no one tell him? Like, hey, so apparently Scipio Giles has like a rough past that we didn't know about. Kill people. Well, and then when Willow says he's with your mom at his place, Buffy's like, uh, yeah, we need to get there like yesterday. <laughs> and then we have, whoa, Summers, you drive like a spaz. Like a spaz. The way he communicates is so funny. He's like, whoa, Summers, you drive like a spaz. Armin Shimmerman has been communicating through Snyder in very quiet, sinister, hushed tones the entire, you know, three seasons we've seen of him. And to hear him shriek is just absolutely hysterical. So Joss Whedon says this about Principal Snyder. He says, he was the kid that everybody was constantly trying to ditch. He was the nerd who was eager to be friends with everybody and was constantly snubbed. And that made it clear how he became the child-hating martinet that we had so much fun with. So this is what Armin Shimmerman had to say about filming this episode. He said, I'm very proud of Band Candy. It was great, great fun. Certainly in my career in front of the camera, that's the freest I've ever been. I decided I was just going to have a hoot and did. When I came back for the next episode, which was probably three or four weeks later, I remember both Sarah and Allison just quoting my lines from Band Candy at me. To this day, I got to conventions and people asked me to repeat, Summers, you drive like a spaz. (laughs) (laughs) I consider myself to be an enormously lucky person. My contract contract with Paramount with Star Trek said that I was only allowed to do one other TV show a year. For some reason, the line producer, my fairy godfather, Steve Oster, decided I could do whatever I wanted. And it wasn't just Buffy. I went off to do Seinfeld. I did Stargate and other shows as well. They juggled their schedules so they could get me in on different days. However, there were two days during the course of my working both shows where I left Star Trek in the early afternoon, drove to Torrance where we usually shot the exteriors for Buffy, and then we would go to work for Buffy. Those two days were enormously long. In fact, one of those days I remember specifically was Band Candy Day. It was difficult as far as hours, but it was enormously invigorating. I cannot explain this to the regular public, and very few actors understand this as well, but it was like doing repertory theater. By doing two disparate characters, doing one made me excited about doing the other because I didn't get exhausted with doing the same character three years or seven years straight. It was a chance to get my batteries recharged, and it was enormously invigorating. So I just think it's hysterical that Allison and Sarah kept saying, Summers, (laughs) you drive like a spaz, like (laughs) weeks later. I would too. It's an iconic line. It totally is iconic. So, okay, then we see a couple of adults. (laughs) They're street racing. One of the guys has a My Child Heart Sunnydale preschool sticker on his car. Genius props department. And then you you see a mailman on the lawn. He's going through everybody's mail. And then there's like a bunch of adults chasing each other in the playground. It's just bizarre, but it's funny. And oh, I can't get enough of it. And then we have the whole dialogue where, you know, Oz is like, I mean, even if he's 16, Giles is, you know, pretty together. And Buffy's like, no, Giles at 16 is less together guy, more bad magic, hates world ticking time bomb guy. And then Oz, oh, well, then I guess your mom is in a lot of trouble, huh? Ah, this scene. Okay, this is my second favorite scene. Ooh, Kappa's got a gun. (laughs) (laughs) And then I just see Giles waving his arms around. (laughs) Okay, it took me the longest time. I always was so frustrated that I didn't know what was rolled up inside his t-shirt. And it's for sure cigarettes, right? Yeah. Okay. I was like, why is it rolled? Must gotta be like an eighties thing. I or think like it's a 70s well, thing when I also think it's because they couldn't show the brand or actually show what was in his mm. sleeve because they were rated like PG or whatever. 
but they wanted to show that like Giles was bad. Yeah. Well, because I mean, this entire time, that's been like their hill to die on is smoking kills. Smoking is bad for you. Only the villains smoke or people who die, you know, like Mr. Platt, RIP. Beer bad. <laughs> yeah. Beer bad. <laughs> Did you guys notice that Giles's tattoo from Igon is visible on his arm? No, I didn't see it. Yeah, the entire time that his um he's wearing short sleeves, you can see his Igon tattoo, which I absolutely love the continuity. It just is so cool. All right, so this is a quote from Tony Head about his role in Band Candy. When asked how he became a kid again for this episode, he said, that was interesting because I had two choices. Basically, if Giles had gone to private school, they tend to turn out like Hugh Grant. There's still that kind of plum in the back of the throat. I could have gone that way and I thought about it, but I also thought about myself at 16 and 17 and the fact that my father was always correcting the way we talked and he'd say, you'll thank me for this one day. And so needless to say, my rebellion was talking a little bit more street. (laughs) So I thought about it and I thought since Giles kind of ran away from it all, that that was the way to go. That was the way he got around being who he was. It was great fun. I was trying to work out what I was wearing around that time and at the time what would be in Giles's closet because we went through the thing of well where does he get those clothes they have to be in his closet it has to be something that would be available for him to be for it to be believable so basically I don't think anybody would have noticed but if you look closely at my jeans they're covered in paint and the idea was that they were actually painting trousers Giles had them in his closet and he uses them to do that and that That came from the fact that I had just been decorating at my house and ruined a pair of jeans because I'd been painting the walls red. That and a t-shirt and the plaid shirt, it gave you the immediate thing of, oh, he looks younger. He looks different. There was at least the excuse that Joyce could have raided Buffy's closet, but basically what they put her in, I don't think was a problem. And then he says this, he goes, put her in a mini skirt and she looks great. (laughs) I mean, true. Joyce has amazing legs. Mm -hmm. And then Tony continues, it was great fun because we talked about how she was when she was a teenager and who's changed the most. And it was very interesting. Our different lifestyles, the different ways that an English teen was in the 70s versus an American, which I thought was really kind of cool. I love that that he had so much input into how he chose to play his character. I think that is so cool. Yeah. Because I think that they all respected like the actors because I feel like they really understood their characters. And so I can imagine them going up to like Anthony and being like, you know what? Like he fully understands the assignment, whatever. Um, He totally understands like what Giles is and who Giles is. And so like asking him and kind of putting that in his hands, like who you think Giles would be. And this is, I mean, we're all so happy that it turned out to be like this route. Uh, yes, we are. <laughs> Thank Although you. It would be funny to see like younger, like stuffy Giles. You guys know what character it would remind me of. And so it'd be entertaining mm-hmm. to watch that. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm happy we got the, the loosey goosey Ripper Giles. Oh, yeah. And he's just, he's very attractive. <laughs> So then Christine Sutherland, this is actually her favorite episode of the series that she ever shot. She just had an absolute ball with this one. So she says, that was a really interesting episode. I always think that I remember very clearly what it was like to be a teenager, but to actually walk it, talk it, and inhabit it, it was so much more intense than just sitting around remembering what you were like. And it was interesting because I have to say some of it was really fun and some of it was painful. It brought up feelings that I haven't ever thought about in so long. Like that scene with the music 
it was that thing of being a teenage girl and wanting to make a connection with that guy and he's into the music and he's into cigarettes and he's into the scene and you want to make a connection with him, but you don't quite know how. You're just going along with him because he's leading you into that place. I hadn't even really thought about that so much until we started going to that scene and suddenly all those feelings came back to me of what it was like to be in that given circumstance. But it wasn't until we sat down to really do it that it hit me. Also, the interviewer asked her, I mean, this is pretty much a given, but he was like, do you think Joyce finds Giles attractive? And she was like, I think he does. And we're like, I think she does. (laughs) I think it's very clear that they both find each other attractive. It's just their younger selves where there's like no consequences in their mind that they're able to Mm -hmm. act on it. Mm -hmm. But since they're older, they're thinking, oh, but but Buffy, and we we don't want to, you know, put that on her and, you know, yada, 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 yada. So they're not like going to do anything about it. Here's how I'd put it. I think that if Joyce ever made a move on Giles, Jazz would have reciprocated. But because he, she was Buffy's mom, he would have never mm-hmm. initiated it himself. It would have needed to come from Joyce. I really think it's interesting, and it gives us a really cool insight into Joyce, how she is not quite who I would have expected her to be as a teenager. Um, Someone who was maybe like a little bit insecure, didn't know who she was, wasn't super popular, but liked to hang out with the popular people. Um, In The Witch, Buffy mocks Joyce for being on yearbook staff and for not being very cool. Um, And then we had that whole conversation, I think it was in Prophecy Girl, where Buffy asked Joyce if she would ever want to be a teenager again. And Joyce is like, not if it helped me understand you better. And and here we go. I kind of disagree that like, I really feel like younger Joyce makes absolute sense for really Joyce. Yeah. I don't Hmm. see her as a popular kid. I see her as someone who like always tries really hard, but doesn't know how to really do things really excellently. You know what I mean? Like I feel like she kind of Oh yeah, that's what heart. I meant. She's not she's not popular, but she tries to hang out with the popular kids. Well, same thing kids, with like even. like being a mom too. She has no idea what she's doing. She's just trying mm. really hard and she keeps that makes failing, sense. but she has a lot of heart for it. Same thing yeah. with friends, same thing with like populators, same thing with boys. Like I think that they've really penned the younger version of everyone really well. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I agree actually. And she's very tender hearted. You see constantly, like she's talking about the baby, she's crying, like she's she very really know maternal what to do. and tender. Yeah. Yes. I like how they showed it's like just because you're a teen or just because you're younger or whatever doesn't mean like you have a lack of like empathy or lack of like or responsibility. Or even G- younger yeah. Giles is like, let's go get him. Like he's like helping Buffy and like running around with her. And like, even though like, like normal Giles would do the same thing, maybe not be as active, but even younger Giles who's supposed to be Ripper is like working really hard. He even like uses his brains too. He remembers certain things and helps him in a lot of different areas. I really, really, really appreciate the show was very careful to not make any of the older people hit on the younger people. I think that's something that they easily could have done. And I feel like any other show or movie would have gone in that direction and maybe had Giles hit on Buffy or something. They were very, very clear to make it that the older people were only hitting on the people that were their same age. Um, And I think that that just shows uh, good writing too, because they had to kind of think outside the box and go, okay, so we can't have them hitting on them. So then how will they act? And we also have to make sure there's no like weird tension. Yeah. Well, I think the direction they were going was they still are aware that they're adults, but they have the mind of a teenager. And so like, like for instance, um, Joyce remembers who Buffy is. She makes jokes about the car that she bought. Um, you know, like all those sorts of things, like Giles still says, 
she's my watcher. You know, like you're my watcher. Go go punch him or whatever. Um, my slayer. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. You're my slayer. Um, or like um, Snyder's like, oh, like I since I'm the principal, I can do all these things. I like how they rather than like them kind of um, making them actual teenagers in like adult bodies. Then we can get into a little bit of a mess of it. But I like the fact that they were like, quote unquote, adults knowing. I think that's what makes it funnier. They know they're mm-hmm. doing stupid things, but like <laughs> they're young. Like even with Joy, she was like embarrassed to hand her the handcuffs because she's still like, oh I'm gosh. her mom, but like I'm right. also a teenager. I like, you know? no, right. I agree with Tabby. I like how they had them remember that they're parents. Like even it's interesting when you see Joyce communicate with Buffy in the first scene. She's like, oh, like, Buffy, do you want a candy? Like, Buffy, like, why don't you go home? She still is her mother. Like, she Mm -hmm. still has motherly instincts. She's just a little immature. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. So this moment, Joyce sees a coat in the window that she really likes. Giles just completely just grabs the heavy trash case like, you like it? This is such a boy thing. You like that? Okay, I'll get it for you. And he just, like, throws the trash can in, grabs it. And they're, like, snickering as they walk away. And right before this, I just wanted to point out. So Joyce says, you know, like having a kid and getting married and everything was a dream and now things are back like they're supposed to be. I know I'm not that old, but I kind of relate with that. And I think it's so easy to – and this kind of goes back to bad eggs. It's so easy as a parent, especially a mother, to completely lose yourself in being a mother. And I think it's something that all adults kind of feel – you just kind of start to lose yourself in the mundane of just going to work and doing the same thing over and over again. And you forget what it's like to have passion and to truly live. Um, And I just thought that was such an understated line and something that I think most adults can really relate with. So then Buffy gets into the car crash, dents Joyce's car. This looks pretty hefty. I'm actually very surprised that the car can still drive after this. It seemed like a worse uh, crash than what it was. And then we have, ooh, Coppa's got a gun. <laughs> the one thing that doesn't make sense to me is like, why does this cop care? Like he's a teenager at this point. I didn't get the sense that the copper was the copper. under the – I know. I'm like <laughs> talking like Giles now. What is happening to me? No, I don't think he I was under the influence for lack of a better yeah, term. Yeah. He looked like he was fully cognizant. <laughs> he was fully adult is it what it was. It seemed like from me, it seemed like a lot of people who were associated with Sunnydale High, so like the parents um, and or teachers, staff, people yeah. that were close to them that were getting the candy. It can't like of spread to the entire town especially like a police officer who probably was like working like a double shift like during the time that they're passing out the candy he's like yeah i don't want candy he's like so over it and it gets beat up by giles (laughs) poor guys just trying to do his job is like these adults are all nuts and i just want to go home and yeah then joyce you are so cool you're like burt reynolds (laughs) and then okay i okay I don't know about you guys, but this kiss was hot. It was so hot. Like the way that like Giles Sarah grabs so Joyce. into Giles in this episode. I am so into Giles. <laughs> See, I, I disagree. The, the kiss, like it is a good kiss, but it makes me uncomfortable because when they're kissing, I just think of like, it's Joyce and Giles. Mm-hmm. Like, oh. I don't know, gum. man. He's so intense and he just like grabs her and then like Okay, so oh, we get it. So good. <laughs> okay, calm down. You keep bringing up how you're attracted to him. So then okay, Buffy's logical conclusion makes so much sense right here. Like the fact that she figures out she's like, wait a minute, okay, everybody's out. 
why aren't the vampires out getting them? Like that makes a lot of sense. And I like how the show like logically brings us to that conclusion. Yes, but also it's like they're acting as if all the vampires are in this like ritual like siege thing. And it's like four vampires. And I'm like, wouldn't other vampires be out in the streets like trying to eat everyone? Well, but then it also implies it's like, is the mayor somehow controlling a lot of the vampire activity yeah, in Sunnydale? Because right. if he is, then he could be like, hey, lay off for tonight. I have a bigger plan for them. I don't want to skip over one of my favorite random scenes in this um, Go episode. Ahead. Have at it. <laughs> the part where they're just talking and this random adult guy runs by and grabs the chocolate out of Snyder's hand. And he's like, hey, give it. <laughs> it's like I always forget this like random like kid adult just buying crops is candy that's so funny to me i don't know why it's funny but it also makes sense because that's the moment that buffy's like oh hang on they're all eating the candy yeah so then buffy's like okay gets all in snyder's face and is like okay tell me who's behind it so then she's like okay oz willow go and get xander and cordelia go back to the library okay so what are xander and cordelia doing this entire time it's very strange that we just don't see them it's very it's weird i'm not used to it my guess is they intentionally did not have xander in this scene because it would have caused more awkward tension and they were trying to avoid well it's also kind of just sick having an episode where xander is barely in it so then buffy's like drives up to the factory after getting snyder's information And she sees Joyce and Giles completely just making out outside of this factory. She's absolutely disgusted. I feel like she handles it way better than I would have. She was so like, okay, guys, like, you know, let's stop, blah, blah, blah. Whereas I would have been like, what the frick? Like, get away from each other. (laughs) Giles, go away. We're busy. Then Buffy pulls Joyce away and she's like, Mom. And then she's like, Where'd you get that coat? Never mind. It's really funny because Buffy's all like, Hey, I kind of like that coat. And Joyce is like, This is my coat. Get off. So he's like about ready to throw down with Buffy. And Buffy's like, Giles, okay, you really want to fight me or do you want to let me talk to my mother? (laughs) He like aggressively backs off. He grabs a cigarette from behind his ear. And then I can't focus on Joyce and Buffy because I'm too busy watching Giles back there, like angry stare at everybody as they walk by. Well, but it's also just funny because it's like, can you imagine Buffy put Ripper Giles in his place? Could you imagine Buffy and Ripper Giles being friends? Like that would have been such a dynamic duo. Well, then she tells Joyce uh, not to have any more candy. And Christine Sutherland is like, I'm fine. I can have more if I want. (laughs) So good. It's just funny to see the roles reversed and see Mm -hmm. Buffy kind of getting a little glimpse of, you know, how she acts sometimes. Joyce goes, hey, look, you want to slay stuff and I'm not allowed to do anything about it. Well, this is what I want to do. So get off my back. And it's such a cool mirroring of Joyce's feelings of Buffy leaving her constantly and going and slaying, it's very relatable to how Buffy often feels sometimes when she couldn't tell her mom about how she was slaying. But I just love how she like she looks at Giles and she goes, take her home. She like grabs his cigarette and he goes, or no, he goes, hey, I'm the watcher. You have to do what I say. So bugger off. And they're like in each other's face. And she just like grabs a cigarette, throws it on the ground, and like stomps on it while staring straight Their at Their chemistry him. is so good. So they go up to the factory. Buffy fights her way inside. They get in, and sure enough, it is Ethan Rain talking to someone on the phone. 
Then we have another stupid moment between Xander and Willow as if we like the music again. Stop manipulating me. Uh, Well, I think it's one of those things too where it's like I keep forgetting because like I think I'm just blocking it out. And then a scene will come (laughs) up with them too. And I'm like, oh yeah, whatever. And then they start flirting and I'm like, please stop. Please, like no one wants this. Yeah, no. This is not okay. Like their fingers momentarily touch. And then Cordelia says, want to swap? This is like the second time this has happened in this episode. And then, of course, Willow's brain immediately goes to that in that direction. And it's like, no, obviously not. I don't know. It's, uh, I just I feel like Willow is better than this. It's a little frustrating. I think everyone can agree. All right. So in the warehouse, Ethan, the script says, Ethan has a choice. Fight like a man or run like a bunny. He drops the phone and bolts. Buffy takes off after him. I was just going to say, like, I think this whole interaction is so funny. Like, Ethan Rain just, like, running and then, like, them catching up to him and, like, finding him and literally hiding out in a box. And then the whole interaction of, like, Buffy, like, trying to get information out of him and like Giles is in the back like being like you're my slayer beat him up like it's just so funny well and the fact that like Giles is like super out of breath he's like wheezing he's like where where and then Bobby's like that's what smoking will do to you (laughs) she has even like breaking a sweat she's not even breathing slightly heavy and then we have like this really uncomfortable but also equally hilarious moment between Joyce and Snyder where Snyder's like trying to like ease close to Joyce. But it's also like you can really tell that uh, Snyder has never ever been with anyone because the fact that he's like going steady instead of being like, oh, you guys like into each other, whatever. Like, are you dating? And then that's why she's like, oh, it's because it's like no one talks like that. This is from Buffy Wiki. says, when they were young, Joyce was somewhat of an outsider at school. Snyder was the uncool kid who thought he fit in, and Giles exhibits his rebel ripper personality. Giles' actions confirm his confessions from the Dark Age, while Joyce had previously admitted to being on the yearbook committee in which Snyder's awkwardness towards Joyce gives Buffy's words towards him and becoming part two more validity. You never, ever got a single date in high school, did you? Which, I mean, I mentioned it before, but it is just really cool to kind of see all those little bits and pieces come together into this episode. So Ethan's like, all right, it's trick you want. I'm subcontracting. I'm just collecting a tribute for a demon. Giles, he's lying. Hit him. You're my slayer. Knock us, Ethan. He just, I I just was dying. Just the, you're my slayer. Like, it's just so like, he's just mad. He's like, come on, do something for me. Well, he's like pacing the entire time back there. Like, he's like, oh, I can't wait. Like, Ripper is such like a ball of energy like he just has got so much going on he's an adrenaline junkie for sure so ethan's like all right it's lucronus it's a demon they wanted to get a tribute from people and he's like it was so big that people would never let them take it so people had to be out of it so that after the candy wears off they would blame themselves which i was like okay this is equal parts really smart but also once again like we talked about how the mayor uses the community for his own benefits and in this situation like he's not only is he using them for his own benefit but he's going to make them feel guilty for something that wasn't technically even their fault in the first place which is i feel like an extra layer of cruel Tony Head just does such a great job. Like, mm-hmm. this doesn't even feel like Giles anymore. It's so funny. Like, obviously, it is Giles, and there's still an aspect of him there, but he just really, like, his face acting is so good. Even his grin is a little bit like, oh, you have some danger behind your eyes. You're, you're a little yeah. scary. <laughs> yeah. Joyce likes bad guys, like, Apparently. which I guess is, you know, makes sense in Buffy's taste of men. 
So fun fact, the babies in the hospital are real babies, which I mean, you can tell. The vampires walking in was actually slowed down to half speed because it looked more intimidating because there was only four of them. (laughs) They weren't allowed to make the babies cry for the scene, so they had to wait for hours until the babies started crying naturally. The crew kept joking about how to make them cry. They're like, can't we just pinch them or something? (laughs) That's got to, yeah, that's got to be really frustrating. You know what I would probably do though is like the ice age where you're like, where's the baby? And then scare it. (laughs) It just starts crying. (laughs) That's awful. Where's the baby? There he is. You're scaring him. All right. So then Buffy calls Willow on the phone. They swap details about Lucronus. They find out that it's the baby's and just as a Willow's giving the information to Buffy, uh, Ethan sees a crowbar and starts to approach Buffy. And Giles pulls out the gun that he got from the cop and says, uh-uh-uh, sit back down. And Snyder over here is still trying to impress Joyce. And I was all like, I took Taekwondo at the Y. But I also <laughs> think it's funny because if you look at the the height comparison, like Ethan yeah. Rain is so much taller. And then you have dinky little Snyder right next to him trying to be like, I did Taekwondo. It's like, Snyder, no one cares. Sit down, please. No, my favorite line that I don't think I've ever noticed is when Joyce is like, it's Willow. She wants you real bad. When she's handing her the phone, the dialogue. So then Buffy's like, okay, we need some way to constrain Ethan. Does anybody have some like, you know, rope or something? And Joyce is like, oh, um. And she pulls out some handcuffs. Like, she could have done it in a much less sus way, and no one probably would have been. But I love how Buffy's just like, never tell me. She's like, I don't want to know. I don't need to know. <laughs> it's hysterical. Okay, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it at the end. Oh, my gosh. Oh, so funny. All right. So then we get to the, the hospital, and the babies are all gone, obviously, because we saw the vampires just stroll right in there and take it out. And Giles is like, he's so like rough and crude and all that stuff but he you could tell deep down he's got a really good heart he's like they never even saw who took them lazy cow i mean though it makes sense because like even though the person was a teenager they still didn't do their job like yeah even though you're supposed to be 16 you're supposed to like you know what you're supposed to be doing at your job you're there right and to be fair like giles didn't shirk his job he Mm -hmm. technically was still helping buffy the entire time so like yeah, exactly. Right. Bad nurses. And then Joyce is so sweet over there. Something's going to eat those babies. She's so tender hearted. It's really sweet. Just so let's go do something, right? Find the demon. Snyder's like, I think that's so wrong. He's like trying to get Joyce to like him. <laughs> I know. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I think killing babies is wrong too. Please date me. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, um, I'm a, a really, really, really nice guy. Um, uh, can we go out? He's definitely one of those people that will like he'll change his like um personality <laughs> just to fit in with whoever he's with. He's one thousand percent that person. He's over there like, I absolutely adore children. <laughs> wink wink. You know this. <laughs> definitely don't harbor any tingly fe- feelings toward them. <laughs> oh, forgot about that. Ew. <laughs> yeah, maybe you know, never mind. <laughs> never mind. And then, okay, then going along with, you know, Giles is being consistent with this job. He's like, hold on. I I knew this at one point. I remember this. But I also think that partially why he was able to remember this is because he hasn't eaten the chocolate in a while. 
So it's starting yeah. to wear off a bit. But I think at the same time too, though, they are still themselves. So they still have the memories and stuff. It's just a matter of like teenagers have notoriously shorter attention spans. So he's probably like, oh, wait, hang on. Like I got to calm down for a second long enough so that I can actually like think and put together a coherent thought. I love how Giles is just looking for like any thrill. He like sees Snyder's is trying to like get out of like going to fight the demons. He's like, are you scared of demons? Yeah, it's true. Well, I think Giles is also like very much honor bound. And so he's like, okay, do your job. Like be hardworking, like be consistent. And I think this is consistent with what we know of Giles. The fact that he's big picture guy. He's all like, do what needs to be done no matter the cost. Um, And I think that even though he's obviously an adrenaline junkie, which is like, who who knew? <laughs> which, okay, now that we know this, this makes him and Jenny make a lot more sense because I think Jenny was also kind of an adrenaline junkie She went as to well. Burning Man, which I never picked up until we started doing the podcast. I was like, how yeah. have I missed that dialogue? I think it yeah. was already known that Giles was a bit of an adrenaline junkie. And it's also interesting that Lucronus means glutton because you have this guy who's like a glutton for power, a glutton for the babies, but it's also like representative of um, what happens when you are not in control of your desires because we're watching that with Buffy and with Willow and Xander. Buffy is like we talked about before. She's lying to her friends. Willow's lying to her friends, Xander as well, in order to go after the thing that they want and they desire. And so there's this whole undertone of don't let your desires overtake your responsibilities, which I think is kind of cool. <laughs> Joyce is like, oh, the poor babies. And she like goes and like hugs Giles, like seeking comfort. And Buffy's like, okay, the sewers, let's go. And Snyder's like, all right, yes, yes, you guys, you go do that thing. And I'll be here in case the babies decide to come back. <laughs> You see him trying to find like an alibi or like a reason why he won't come with them. He's like scratching his head, trying to make it seem like it's such a hard thing for him to decide to do. He's like, fine, I'll stay here while you guys go fight the demons. Dang it. Random. I really wanted to, to, you know, bash their skulls in. And I love how Buffy's like, Snyder, just go home. She's like, you don't need the excuse. Just go. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. No one wanted you here anyway. You literally invited yourself. Ah, and then Buffy's like, all right, that's it. And then she says, Giles, I need grownups. These children are going to die and we have to think clearly and act now if we're going to save them. There's no room for mistakes. And I think that's a really interesting, like, that's a really big thing for Buffy to say. The fact that she's like, I need grownups. Because up until now, I think there's been this mentality for Buffy that she doesn't need grownups. She's fine on her own. Then Buffy's like, all right, Giles, take us to the sewers. And then looks over and they're kissing again and don't do that. <laughs> I just think it's funny because like the way they interact is so like coupley. You forget that they're Giles and like Joyce. You're like, oh, they seem very seasoned in their relationship. <laughs> Tabby's like, I would never guess you guys just started dating tonight. <laughs> oh my gosh. All right. This part absolutely cracks me up. So we're like in the sewers. We've got all these robed figures and they're like chanting in Latin. They're like, come Ludcronus, come near, uh, treat us with mercy, devour, whatever. And you have the, ma- the mayor standing over there on his phone like, hey, Carol, can you um tell Dave and the public works committee tomorrow about the sewer maintenance? I have some concerns because there's exposed gas pipes, infrastructure and ventilation. And like, it's really unsafe. Like somebody could get hurt. And oh, by the way, like cancel my three o'clock because I'm about to like, you know, watch a demon eat babies. 
he, this man is just a walking contradiction. I think that's what's so funny is he's just sitting there like it's ter- It's scary. He's like so unfazed. He's like, yeah, la da da da. Oh yeah, cancel by four o'clock. And while they're like literally preparing a child sacrifice, he's like, <laughs> the youth is our future. Um, but I'll let a few babies die. That's fine with me. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. And it's just funny how he's like so responsible. He's actually like doing a really good job as a mayor, but then he's also like sacrificing like children. It's just weird. So then Buffy drops in. Giles jumps down through the manhole after Buffy. And then he turns and helps Joyce down like such a gentleman. Here, Joyce, let me help you get into the sewers. The mayor is – this is very interesting. The mayor sees Buffy and then just kind of slowly slinks away, which I think is really cool because I don't think we've ever had Buffy so close to the big bad in one episode um, as we did in this one. And it was kind of like, oh, like they they literally just like almost met. As a first-time viewer, my first thought would be like, if the mayor didn't know who Buffy was, don't you think he'd question if a teenage girl was in the sewers? He'd be like, hey, leave us alone. Assuming mm. she had no idea what was going on and was just like wandering around and or like with right. her friends and was like, hey, leave us alone, like kind of pays him off not to say anything, like moving on. But like the fact that he like sneaks away, he's got to know who Buffy is. And he doesn't want to be seen by her. He he didn't seem surprised that she was there. It was like, okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right, so Buffy stakes the robed vampires and then throws one of the vampires into like the sacrificial offering pool, I guess is what it is. It's not a pit. It's just a pool. Uh, then we hear a rumbling and this like giant snake eel thing comes out and eats the vampire. Mr. Trick then taunts Buffy like, you know, every other bad. And he's like, ordinarily, I like other people to do my fighting, but I just have to see what you got. I just, oh, I I was like, finally. And then we didn't get anything. But it's like, I want to see what Mr. Trick has. Because it's like, he's been talking that game for a while. It's like, I want to see. Well, Giles just like rashly pushing her and rushing forward feels very consistent with how he's been acting. Um, He gets thrown into the sacrificial pool as well. And then Buffy thinks really fast and grabs the exposed piping off the top and roasts the eel, saving Giles, which I love that Joyce is actually helping. She's like moving the cart of babies out of the way. I was like, go Joyce. Well, we know that Joyce is brave though. So it's like, it makes sense that she would help. Joyce, can we go home now, Buffy? Yeah, let's go home. I've got the SATs tomorrow. Joyce is like, oh, blow them off. I'll write you a note. And Buffy's like thinking about it. She's like, no. She should have, man. I would have. Yeah, she really should have. All right. So then this scene in the office is really interesting. Even though like the mayor thinks Trick, you can tell he's threatening him like, don't mess up again. Um, so K. Todd Freeman's mother, apparently she loved his role as Mr. Trick because it was the first time she got to see him dress smart. He'd always played drug addicts or farm workers, etc. beforehand. So he was always scruffy looking and she loved this role because he got to wear nice suits. <laughs> That's such a mom thing. I know, literally. Snyder is back to his uh, original self. I will say it was nice not to have Xander in the episode is much, but I do wish we had seen some interaction between Xander and like 
chocolate drugged Snyder. Or Giles. He would or even Giles. Him. Yeah. Because there's such like a frenemies vibe between the two of them. Mm-hmm. And so Xander's kind of like taunting him. Hey, heard you had some fun. You come down yet? Did you guys notice there is a picture from Cordelia's uh, homecoming poster inside of Xander's no. locker? Oh, that just makes me mad. <laughs> Little whore, take it down. Uh, and then Snyder's like, I'm salty and angry about what happened the night before and feeling insecure. So therefore, I'm going to give you guys a job to do. And you have to scrub graffiti I off just, of this logger. I don't understand. I know it's a plot device, but why do they never say no? Like, just <laughs> say no. What is he going to do? Like, give you detention? true. Like, you can fight it. It's true. Like, yeah, the principal yes. can, like, get you in trouble and stuff. But it's like, you have dirt on him. It's like, uh, I saw you, like... Smoking and drinking, and you were hanging out with students inappropriately. Like, or Buffy could be like, "Hey, you hit on my mom." Yeah, no, literally, yeah, I, I could. Right. I would literally just be like, "No, I'm not cleaning up this mess." Like, if you're mad and bitter, you can do it. No, I agree. They, I just don't know why they didn't say no at some point. All right, so then Buffy's walking with Giles in the front of the school, and you could tell Giles is either incredibly hungover or he's just feeling shame because he's just staring at the ground the entire time. But I think that Buffy's quote right here is really interesting. She says, it was just too much to deal with. It's like nothing made sense anymore. The things I thought I understood were gone. I felt so alone, which I feel like is a really good way to put adolescence, especially as you're about ready to step into adulthood, it's the understanding that you're going to now be the adult and you don't really have anybody over you anymore. And it can feel very isolating and scary. But then we find out that, you know, it was the test that they were talking about once again, you know, twisting it on its head. But I think that this episode is talking very much about how like authority is still a good thing if used rightly. Um, and if not taking advantage of the people that are underneath them. All right. And then the, the scene with Joyce and Giles at the very end. Joyce is very, very understanding of the dent in the car. And I feel like she, Buffy could pretty much ask for anything she wants at this point, And mm-hmm. Joyce would probably give it to her out of shame. This is when you start confessing stuff. See, this is when you sneak in the, hey, Angel's back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, oh, by the way, my ex-boyfriend's back now. Who killed your girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then and then when Giles gives her any grief, be like, um, I saw you snogging my mom. Buffy, hey, the way things were going, be glad this is the worst thing that happened. At least I got to you too before you, you know, actually did anything. <laughs> and they both look guilty. Very guilty, very guilty. And honestly, I feel like Buffy must be repressing to not suspect that they did anything. I think she's trying not to think about it. The handcuffs, Mm -hmm. man. I feel like that was like a dead giveaway. Oh my gosh. I love that episode so much. It just, it's such a treat to watch and it has ramifications for the rest of the show, um, but it also just ties things together really well. It's, It's just such a treat to watch. All right, guys, that was Ban Candy. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you guys enjoyed this. Let us know what you guys think about Joyce and Giles finally getting together. What are your thoughts on Willow and Xander still being together? Are you ready for that to be over? Or are you looking forward to seeing the inevitable blow up? Don't worry. We are on the same boat as you. Yeah. <laughs> Leah's like, we all know what you're going to say. Yeah. Any episode focusing on this plot line is one episode too long. You guys can find us on Instagram, Tumblr, and TikTok 
Becoming Buffy podcast. You can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. If you guys enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate us and leave a review. As always, guys, thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next week.